you love winning or do you hate losing? Patrick Bet David. It is game over. World-renowned entrepreneur worth over $200 million. I want to manage expectations and I want to be able to look at my wife and know you're looking at me back that I'm the man. When you study generals or great military leaders or great founders, CEOs, everything's about sequencing. So what is my next 5, 10, 15 moves? What makes you think you get to impose your standards on me? Who are you? Do you know that's a form of thinking you're God? Love comes in different dimensions. There's love for your father. A different kind of a love you've not experienced that because of what happened with your life so it's tough for you to embrace that part but you will be amazed what kind of a father a guy like you will be because of you not having experienced that as a kid <sighs> my dad had a heart attack i was afraid he's gonna die and i'm like this is not worth it and this one relative makes a condescending comment about my dad i said whatever happens the world's gonna know your last name they're gonna know how incredible a father you are that enemy produced a fire in my belly that I can't help myself because you disrespected the man that I respect the most in my life. That's permanent. So what's the story with the shoes? <laughs> <laughs> so I bought these first. And, oh, shut uh, up. He saw me wearing them one day. They're both trying and, to copy uh, my shoes. The, the next time we met up, suddenly, suddenly he's had a delivery. So. If, if you want the real story, Patrick, that everyone as, as copies my, my style. I buy a shirt, someone buys okay. it. I get these so, shoes, someone buys so it. So are you a September baby as well? Or I'm June. June what? 24th. And, okay. and so am I, the exact same day, exact 24th. same year. Yeah. I use it as leverage the on the How interview with Curtis. May the 4th. May the 4th. Star Wars wow. Day. May the fourth be May with you. May the fourth yep. be with you. Yeah. <laughs> Are we rolling? We can roll. Yeah. Let's okay. go into it. Yeah. Hi guys. Welcome back to Strike It Big. So I attribute a lot of my success down to having a father figure as a mentor. I was always trying to, you know, impress him by doing the next big thing and um, never could quite impress him. So it always pushed me to do even more and more with my career. Um, so I want to start off with a bit of a question to you guys. How much did your father play a part in your success? I think my father was incredibly influential uh, on who I am today, but probably not in the way you might think. I was raised predominantly by a single mother and pretty much every good attribute I have, I definitely say is directly correlated to her. But I do think there's certain things that a son can only learn from a father or a father figure. So there was definitely some things that I missed out on and some lessons that I wasn't taught from early on. But the positive, the positive spin on that would be, I think it also gave me a massive chip on my shoulder and that resulted in uh, having an insane amount of motivation and determination that I think a lot of people don't have. Yeah, you're definitely one of the hardest working people I know. So it's, it's definitely played a positive part in your life as well. How about you, Kai? Because I know yeah. your story is slightly different. Yeah, I mean, my dad left to get the milk before I was born and uh, never returned. And then my mum died shortly after that when I was only seven. So my upbringing was very different. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't learn. And I always reflect on it. You know, how would things have been different if I had that traditional upbringing? Um, you know, things like looking after my brother and making sure our relationship was strong and he was getting on and doing the things that he needed to do. That was completely alien to me. Um, you know, I was moved around a lot. So I would say through, you know, my entire life, I've just been playing catch up and I wonder where I would be if things have been different. How tough are you? How tough are you? Mentally, I would say very. Physi yeah. Physically, obviously not very. No, no, but I mean, when I asked you, I said, what's the story with the shoes? He said, I bought it first. You said, you know, you, you, you got pissed at him real quickly and you guys went back and forth. So I, I feel a vibe of toughness from you when you raise in an environment like that. 
you're you're not going to be intimidated by a lot of different things. How many kids lose their dad goes away and their, their mom dies at seven years old and you made it? Are you kidding me? It's freaking amazing. I appreciate that. Respect. Thank you. Lots of respect. At Strike It Big, we pride ourselves on bringing you the uncensored truth. We don't bow down to censorship. That's why we have a wide range of guests on this show and we let them speak their truth. We give context about who these people are and where they're coming from. But this isn't the case for most of the information we consume. It feels like every news outlet has an agenda, which means you get the same story just with multiple different headlines. I mean, it's hard to know which one's the truth. If you feel the same way, you should check out today's sponsor, Ground News. Ground News is an app and website that gathers thousands of sources from around the world and puts them in one place, as well as rating the bias of each source so you can get the full picture. Check out this story about the Supreme Court being asked to weigh in on Trump's 2020 election case. I can see there are more than 200 sources reporting on it and the majority are center rated. Scrolling down, I can compare every article with tags showing me the bias, reliability and ownership of the source. I personally like to read the stories that are rated high factuality and center so I can get to the truth without any agenda or political bias. Notice how the left and right frame the same story by taking a look at these two headlines. So if you're interested in seeing through the mainstream narratives, go to ground.news slash strike it big. And if you sign up before December 31st, you'll get 40% off the Vantage plan. That's the one I use. It gives me unlimited access to all of their features. Check it out. So throwing it over to you, how big a part did your father play um, in, in your childhood yeah. and, and shaping you as a man? So I lived in Iran. In Iran, we had one day off. Our off uh, a Sunday was Friday. So you work Saturday through Thursday, Friday's off. So you know, I saw him once a week on Friday. My dad was hardworking. He left five o'clock in the morning, would come home at night when we were asleep. But when we had that time together, he was an amazing father. He's my hero. Since I was six years old, when I went to school, my teacher asked me, saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a dad. Not because I want to be a dad, because I want to be like my dad. That's, that guy was my hero. And then when my parents got a divorce and we left Iran and we went to Germany and I lived at a refugee camp in Germany for a year and a half. My father was non-existent for 18 months. I don't see him single time or talk on the phone because my mom and dad had to fight so I could never talk to the guy. And then at 12 years old, when I came here, a lady came to our house to talk to my mom saying, hey, do your kids want to see the dad? Because the dad wants to see them. And she says, my mom says, ask my kids. I said, of course. And then I went and saw him. So I saw him once every other week. He would pick me up at Virgil's in Glendale off a street called Doran, and we'd go and spend a day together, and he would do that twice a month. And he wasn't a guy that cared about my grades. I had a 1.8 GPA in the States. Uh, I don't know what that is in UK, but 1.8 GPA is you're almost failing. You're, you're right, not okay. doing very well. But I love math. I love numbers. I'm fascinated by people, so I would never leave school because I wanted to be around my friends and my crew. And eventually my dad taught me to never be afraid of the truth. You know, if you're uh, comfortable with the truth, you don't have anything to worry about. Hard work. He was a very hardworking man. Keep your word. My dad was hated by my mother's family. However, whenever the family wanted to hide money, they only know one person they could trust to hide money with, and it was my dad. Because they knew this man was a man of character. And that character is a lot of value. You got a reputation in the marketplace. And uh, those were some of the things. So he played a very, very important role. One of my biggest fears when I joined the Army was the fear of him dying before my kids meeting him because I never met his dad. So when the kids were born, I uh, made sure as soon as possible, he eventually agreed. I moved him to Florida. He lives with us on the first floor. Kids are with him all the time. They're best friends. It's a great bond that they have together.
So now you're in a slightly different um, kind of place in life than when you were younger with your father. How do you make sure you install the same values into your kids? Yeah, so we have a very uh, interesting dynamic with the kids. Our kids in our house, money is pages, meaning my oldest son was the first one to read this book. He read the book, Choose Your Enemies Wisely. We're on a plane. Uh, Sam, you remember this when he read this book? On the plane, he says, I know my enemy. I said, who's your enemy? He gives the kid's name from school. He's my enemy. And he drives me. I said, so what do you want to do? Here's what I'm going to be doing. Da, 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 da. And he starts talking about his plan, all this stuff. But my, he's read Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand. He's uh, read a lot of big books. Uh, so if you read in our house, you can ask for a lot. If you have a C in your grades, you don't play any iPad at all. Uh, if you have a C, you don't pick the movies. If we watch a movie, I know you love movies, but if you have a C, you don't get to pick movies. It's a big pride in our family to pick the movie to watch. Like you want to be able to say, I want to watch this movie. We have to sit there and watch the movie, even though we don't like the movie because the family's got to be together. Uh, so B's and A's, you're good. You get straight A's. You get additional ancillary products and you know advantages to negotiate and leverage. Uh, my, my youngest son, Dylan, this is what his day looks like after school. Three o'clock, school is done with. He swims for one hour straight. Then he goes to uh, jujitsu, then soccer, then baseball. The baseball and soccer, it's either futsal or he does regular soccer, the, you know, the, the FC leagues that they have in, in uh, soccer. And then, you know, that's his routine on a daily basis. So he thinks that's normal. That's an everyday thing. He says, Dad, are all kids this busy? I said, all kids are this busy. He said, I ask, I ask all my friends, they're like, we're not as busy as you. Like they're lying to you. They're all that busy. I said, but if they don't have as busy of a life as you do, I don't care. You're a bad David. This is what we do as a family. We're close, loving. Uh, I'm the guy that likes to have my kids around me. When we go to church on Sundays, they're, they're all over me. And we watch the sermon. Before you can get distracted doing other things, you have to tell me three things you take away from the pastor when he's giving his message. Everything is expectation, love, fun, all of that combined together. But standards and expectation Love and fun. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's at this stage. But again, they're 11, 10, 7, and 2 years old. So I don't know the next phase of problems at 13, 14, 15. <laughs> yeah, I was very similar to your son when, when I was younger. I did lots of different activities and lots of different hobbies. Um, but eventually, I had to kind of narrow down on swimming. And I used to swim two hours in the morning, two hours at night, getting up at like 4 a.m., doing all the training. How important do you think it is to nail down what you're really good at as in your hobby and, you know, focus on one thing rather than splitting your focus over, you know, jujitsu and all of these so other things? It's crazy you're saying this because that's what we're going through right now with the kids. This is, this is my entire focus with my youngest one. My uh, oldest son, my father, the other day said, says, listen, your youngest son's got a passion. We got to find something with your oldest son. I said, I said, okay, what do you want to do? I said, say, Tico, come here. Let's go to the other. I take him to my office. I said, I want, you to, I want you to sit here and watch uh, Mr. Beast's documentary. It's a 57-minute documentary, 15 million views. I don't know if you've seen it. Is this the it's, Colin and Samir one or is it a different one? I don't know which one it is. Okay. It's 57 minutes, 15 yeah. million views. So if it's yeah. that one, you can't see it because I just watched it on Sunday. And my youngest son, within five minutes, says that I don't want to watch this. Can I leave? He could care less about being a YouTuber. The oldest son, he says, no, I have to watch this whole thing. He was glued, right? I'm trying to find what you're interested in, okay? That's my number one priority. Once I see something gets you and I see your mind is just going and it's nonstop, then I got to feed it, right? I got to be like, we're going to send him to a movie camp. We send him to editing camp, all this other stuff. And obviously we got a production house at the uh, Fort Lauderdale a few minutes away from here and a bunch of people editing. We got 30, 40 editors and they're doing their stuff that they're doing. So he comes in and he watches what's going on. 
I'm just trying to see what moves you and what you're curious about. He wants to be a movie guy. He wants to go into movies, entertainment, but he also is interested in politics. He loves watching debate. It's a very interesting dynamic with the oldest one. The youngest son, you know, my wife would say things like this, but babe, he just told me today he doesn't want to do jujitsu anymore, babe. I don't want to pressure him. I said, babe, stop. He's doing jujitsu. But babe, we, we shouldn't. I said, babe, he's doing jujitsu. Why? Let me explain to you, my son. On Saturday night, we're at Chop's restaurant. I said, Dylan, I got a question for you. He says, what's that? I said, do you love winning or do you hate losing? You know how long it took him to answer the question? Half a second. What do you think he said? Well, I would say hate losing. He hates losing. Yeah. This kid hates losing mm. so bad. It's insane. Everybody loves uh, winning. But some of the craziest people that do something big in life, they freaking hate losing. They hate being humiliated. So the reason why he hated jujitsu is because he kept getting his ass kicked. Mm. The reason why he hated baseball is because he couldn't hit the ball. The reason why he hated soccer, it's not that he hated the sport, he hated being bad at it, right? So now, when he plays soccer, you should see how he is. He goes on the field, he thinks he's Ronaldo. He's got the swagger of a guy that goes in, but now he doesn't like baseball. Because baseball, he's not hitting as well, because at his age, the kids don't throw a good pitch. So as a father and a mother, mother's always gonna feel bad about pressuring the kid and all this other stuff. His father's job to have a backbone and say, hey, you're gonna kinda go through this for a couple years, Couple years later, let's see what happens. But I guarantee you, if you get good at playing this game, you're gonna to wanna to play it more. And then at 14 years old, if you being great and you still don't wanna do it, respect, let's move on. So I'm challenging him to stick to playing multiple sports till about 13, 14 years old, and then we're gonna to try to focus on two. And then at around 17, 18, he'll pick one and we'll see what happens. What toll does all of this like play on, uh, play, on, play on you mentally in terms of like trying to you know, manage these kids and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? How are you able to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish business-wise with all of this going on? Everything I do in my life is... Uh, so you ever seen a movie, uh, Meet Joe Black? No. You got anybody ever seen me, Joe Black, or no? Have you seen it with Brad Pitt? Okay, I know for a fact you're not going to watch it, but if you <laughs> it's like It's my movies, favorite. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's my favorite. So I watch me, Joe Black, and it's the story of this father who Brad Pitt shows up, and Brad Pitt is death. He's there to say, I'm death. I'm here. You're about to die. And he says, what are you talking about? And he starts telling him everything that he's been dealing with for the last couple of weeks. He's like, oh, shit, you know everything. Yeah, because I'm death. It's your time. You got to go. Okay, it's a very fascinating movie. And I watched this movie and they're doing a big party at his house at the Hamptons in New York. I'm like, oh, I fell in love with this house. So right after I watched the movie, I take my wife and my kids and we get on a plane and then we get the helicopter and we fly over to uh, Hamptons and we look at three properties. One of them was 46,000 square feet of a property on like 10, no, 19 acres. I don't know what it was. It was on sale for $120 million. And we'll look at another house and another house, okay? And I'm walking through this place. I'm greedy, I'm selfish. I want my kids as close to me as possible. I want to have a bigger argument for my in-laws so when my grandkids have to choose which grandpa they want to go be with, they want to be with this guy, okay? I'm competitive, I love kids, I want them around me, okay? Now, I want the in-laws there as well, so it's gotta be a big compound. Everything I'm building with the uh, media company, with the consulting firm, with the wide range of industries it's in. So my kids later on can choose to say, I wanna be a lawyer, great, go here. I wanna go make movies, great, go here. I wanna go be a talent, go here. I wanna go do YouTube, go here. I wanna go do real estate, go here. I wanna go be an accountant, go here. I wanna go do this. So 
I'm solving for that life. That is my dream. My dream is to have a big family and them being close to daddy and grandpa. That's what I'm solving for. So how much toll does it have on me with everything else that I'm doing? A lot. Yesterday I was in Dallas. Uh, we got back at midnight this morning. I got back to negotiate the next phase of what I'm going to do. I'm going to be doing with my insurance company's responsibilities. This insurance company, we grew from 66 agents to 45,000 agents that we sold last year for a few hundred million dollars. It's because I'm looking at my bandwidth. My day starts at six. It ends at 11 o'clock. That's a pretty meaning, 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 meaning back to back to back. And I love it, right? And it's working out well, but I don't want to miss the soccer practice when he's going to the tryout, when we're making big decisions. Sundays are my kids' days. Saturday nights, we're going out to dinner. We have rituals, what we do for Christmas. We're going away for Christmas for nine days, summertime. We have a big ritual, what we do. There's a lot of family rituals that we have together, but I'm solving for that. And by the way, here's what's going to sound crazy to you. You know the fear of, well, what if you're making the wrong mistake as a father, and then later on, you should have let him pick the this and da-da. I have zero guilt about that at all. Life's a risk. Uh, what these kids are going to get through the discipline of pursuing something, whether it's sports, whatever they're playing, the process of who they become is going to help them win in anything they do in their life. Pursuing a girl, pursuing dreams, pursuing sports, pursuing wealth, pursuing politics, pursuing military, that person they become in that process They've learned so many different clues and hacks about life that they're going to have an edge over their competitors. If you're someone that hates losing, when do you know it's the right time to kind of level up your circle and kind of mix with people that are greater than you? I feel like with my swimming, I took too long to actually go to a better club, which mean, means that I didn't improve. Just because I, I didn't want to lose, I wanted to surround myself with the people I was yep. better at. Yep. And then I, you know, like I didn't progress as yep. far as I could have done. So when do you know it's the right time to make that jump to, to the next level? How do you feel about that now yourself? Like when you process going back, how are you processing? Like if you talk to my kid, what feedback would you give him? I would say... I should have definitely jumped sooner just because I could have leveled up my swimming ability and then got to the next level. I wanted to become an Olympic champion. So it, I, I didn't make that jump probably. I probably should have made it two years before I did. But looking back at it now, I made the right decision because then I went into media production and I followed my passion. But I, I had a road. I could have either gone down the, the media production route or gone down the swimming route. And that's what I had to make a decision because I had to put 100% into, you know, something. One of the two. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, it's interesting you're saying that. So I had a conversation with my uh, son, Dylan. We're talking about IMG. You know, IMG, the program, I don't know if you guys know IMG, like soccer. You know, they go yeah. live on the campus, 85000 a year, and they're doing a sports. I'm like, Dylan, uh, would you be open to the idea of changing schools? Because mm. they're all going to the same schools. They all see each other, and it's like safe. Mm. They love it. I said, what if you get recruited by the best soccer high school and this soccer high school needs you to go to the school in ninth grade or 10th grade and you're not going to see your brother and sister anymore? What are you going to do about it? He takes a second to think about it. He says, I would go. I said, good answer. Good. You're thinking the right way. And I'm having this conversation with all of them together. I think parenting, we don't have real life conversations with our kids too early because we don't think they can handle it. I asked him a question about estate planning the other day. I said, guys, what, what happens if I die? What should happen to daddy's money? Oh, very easy. You should go to mommy. I'm like, okay, that's right. Okay, so what if mommy and daddy die? What should happen with the money? My oldest son said, should go to, go to me. Then automatically, that's not fair. How about me? 
yeah, I would give you some money too. And then my daughter's like, but what about me? And like, we would take care of you. Why can't I have my own money? And then next thing you know, argument starts. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Because now we can manage a future conflict at this age mm -hmm. and they have to commit to what's going to happen with this. I said, so what do you think we should do? I said, let's just say the, the dollar is, uh, you know, a million dollars. How do you do it? Do, do we give each of you $250,000? I think that's fair. Really? What if she chooses to start doing drugs? What if she's bad with her money? What if she's got bad habits? What if he's doing bad things in his life? Should he get the same amount? He shouldn't get the same amount. Got it. 20 minutes later, these guys did my entire estate planning for me. And they now know if they do certain behavior later on, they're not going to get it. These are open conversations that you ought to have with your kids. I'm talking to one of my kids and I said, hey, question for you. You're great. Yeah, what about him? You're not going to a public school. You're going to a private school. What about it, dad? Well, private school, they don't need you. What do you mean? There's 600 kids right now that want your spot. You go into a Christian private school, and a lot of parents want to put their kids in Christian private school today. What are you going to do to keep the spot? What are you saying, Daddy? I don't care if you want to go to a public school. It's totally fine with me. I don't want to put that pressure on you. Do you want to stay here? I do want to stay here. So what are you going to do to keep your spot? It's like, well, I don't want to give my spot up. Okay. I mean, your grade's like this. If somebody else is getting A's and B's and you're getting C's and D's, it's just not going to happen. Next week, is great and improves and changes. It's open conversations about decisions to see what they're going to be doing. I talked to them about boarding, boarding school, going away, living elsewhere in another country for a month. But if you're able to, one of the biggest things in life, like, you know, when you study generals or great military leaders or great founders, CEOs, everything about these great ones. The reason why I wrote my first book, Your Next Five Moves, is because all I want to be thinking about is what is my next 5, 10, 15 moves? Everything's about sequencing. So the great ones know how to anticipate future problems that are going to happen today. You're not going to be able to do it 100% of it. But what if you're able to anticipate 80% of it? When you go into a negotiation, what do you do? The four of you guys sit here and what do you say? Okay, let's role play. If they ask this, what do we say? Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, I don't have an answer for that. Here, what do you say? Well, I would say this. What if they do this? What if they ask you to step away? Are we okay with that? Should we be okay with that? What if they want you to step out? Well, why would I step out? I'm the CEO. Well, how do you feel about that? But the more we can have these conversations of anticipating what this negotiation is going to be, then when we walk in, they're like, uh, can you give us a few minutes? You're like, yeah, sure, no problem. They're not saying, oh, uh, no, we're like, no problem. Totally fine. I'll be outside. I'll call my wife. You guys have your meeting. I'll come. Wow, these guys are. Everything is anticipation. So the great leaders husbands, fathers, spouses, any of these guys, they're sitting and trying to say, if those guys attack us from this angle, we're going to come this way and we're going to do this. So I think as a father, uh, our job is to try to anticipate as many future decisions our kids have to make and put it on them and see how they handle it and help them process it. I think a lot of people miss out on that in, not even in business, but away from that. If you take couples, for example, in relationships, a lot of people will move in together or get a mortgage together, for example, before having a conversation about, hang on, what if we do break up or we hate each other in a year's time? Oh, it won't happen, so we don't need to discuss it. But it might. And a lot of people miss that step of having those hard conversations so that if it does happen, you're prepared for it. Rule number one, don't get married in UK. We learned yeah. that today, <laughs> yeah. right? We did. We learned that today. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to place a lot of emphasis on education, obviously the, the extracurricular stuff, but also education yeah. on its own and the grades that your kids get. 
but you've obviously also written a book um, called Dropout or Get Schooled, mm-hmm. in which you talk about the flaws in the education system. So why do you still care about the grades that they get in school? One of the best things you need to do as a leader is to be able to manage contradiction. And they both could be right in different instances, okay? I like to entertain opposing ideas. And I like to see the flaws in both. For example, a guy like me doesn't need college. I, I, I was wired to go do selling and all the other stuff. I was going to figure out my way of doing something, okay? And it worked out for me. Now, what if I am my parents when I was a kid? Meaning, what if I was born into my lifestyle today? I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what if I'm my own parents today, okay? And my expectation of me as a kid, what would it be? Well, you better do this, 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 this. Maybe I would have ended up being a lawyer. Maybe I would have ended up being something else. Maybe I would have ended up running my dad's business. Maybe I would end up being the CEO of Valuetainment. Maybe I would end up being a guy that goes into business with the guy because there's an edge. But regardless of what it is, everyone's circumstances are different. If you're able to use your last name, if your last name is Kennedy, guess what? You better use it. If you got green eyes and you're a guy with green eyes, what color are your eyes? Green eyes? I think they're green. Okay. Green you got to use those green eyes because I don't have green eyes. I got brown eyes, right? So that's an edge for you, right? If you're tall, use your height. If you got nice body, use your body. If you have good looks, use your, if you got a good voice, use it. Whatever circumstance you got to have an edge. If your family's last name is Kennedy, Vanderbilt, whatever it is, you got to use that last name. You know, you got to be like, okay, great. This is my way of using the edge. It's not like, and the reason why I'm talking about it this way is because one day my kids are going to have access to certain things I didn't have access to. And great, that's your edge. You and I didn't have access to that growing up. You didn't have that. Your father and your mother, they were not in the picture after seven years old. Dad walked away and your mom dies at seven years old. So that's your card you were dealt. This is the hand I was dealt, right? But your kids are probably not going to be in the same situation you were. You're not going to walk away from your kids. I feel like that puts me off having kids, though, a little bit. I think it's something that we were talking about this yeah. last night about yeah. how I'm... It's not something I'm against, but right now I don't think about it. I'm completely switched off at the idea. 25. Okay. I mean, it's still early. I will tell you this. For a guy who saw my mom and dad fight every freaking day they were married, literally, it was disturbing, anxiety, panic. I'm living in Iran, war, chaos, constant chaos. We have our fourth kid, Brooklyn. They're supposed to be twins. One of them doesn't make it. And Brooklyn is born... And she is the most animated kid in the family. Unbelievable how she is. I cannot imagine living a life having never met Brooklyn. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. There is a kid that's your kid that when you have that kid, you're not going to be able to understand the concept of having lived life, period, not having met that kid. It's life-changing. Mm. Love comes in different dimensions. There's love for your mother. It's a different kind of a love. There's love for your father, a different kind of a love. You've not experienced that because of what happened with your life. So it's, so it's tough for you to embrace that part. Love for a girlfriend, different than love for your wife, different than love for your first son, your daughter, different than your best friend, different than love is multidimensional. There's no way in the world life is worth living, not experiencing the most incredible dimension of love. And, and, and that's your kids. No way in the world. 
And you will be amazed and surprised with yourself because of the life you've lived. <sighs> How serious you will take if you choose to do so one day. You've got plenty of time. You're only 25 years old. You could change your mind next 15 years if you wanted to. But you will be amazed what kind of a father or guy like you will be because of you not having experienced that as a kid. Where do you think money comes into it, though? Because I feel like for you to, to, to bring your kids up in yeah. the way that you do, I don't want to say that money's everything, but it definitely bloody helps. Like for you to be able to do what you do, I, I totally think it's very it. important. I so I think unless I'm a multimillionaire, yeah. it will be difficult for me to give them the life that I want. And I'm not quite where I want to be yet in I, terms I of totally financial get, status. I totally get it. Yeah. Listen, for me to make money is, is a different kind of a conversation. It's if you bring value to the marketplace, you have the leverage to choose who you want to marry. Okay. I don't want to settle. The whole concept of settle is what? Who the hell wants to settle? People who settle is they don't have a lot to offer to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But if you got a lot to offer to the market, and by the way, offering is not just money. Offering is you're a man of discipline. You're going to bring protection. You're going to bring values. You're going to bring principles. You're going to bring a lot of you know positive things to the family. Money is one of the things. But you know, uh, uh, I had my first kid when I was 32 years old, 33 years old. How old was it? 33 years old, something like that. I had money, but I didn't have this kind of money that I got today. Today, I got different kind of money. But at that time, I was going to have the kid no matter what. Now, my recommendation with this next generation is to choose to have a minimum of four kids. Everybody I talk to that's younger, like, look, you make money. I get it. Find a way to get to four kids. Had a conversation with this guy named John Morris, very big private equity guy in Santa Monica, California. He was one of my advisors. Phenomenal. I said, John, how many kids you got? He says, two. I said, why two? You're super successful. Why'd you only have two? Biggest mistake of my life. I said, what? He says, yes. I said, how many should you have had? He says, four. I said, why? He says, what thing in life do you do where you stop the moment you start figuring out how to do it? Your first kid, you screwed up. Your second kid, you're still making mistakes, but you're getting a little bit better. You're ready for the third one and the fourth one. Why'd you stop after the second one? So he says, I should have had four kids, right? Uh, the, the, once the selfish gene is out, and you're talking to a guy that you would have loved to party with. I was a lot of fun to party with. I got around a lot until 25 years old. I said, I'm done. 25 was when I was done playing, by the way. That was my age. But I was in Vegas 26 times a year. Uh, I was a guy on the stage with the shirt off and I'm acting like a fool and you want to go doing all them pouring liquor on everybody else and I'm, I'm that guy. But once I got that out of my system, I want to I wanna go into something, something that's substance. And uh, yeah, at this age, at 25 years old, you know. How do you think guys nowadays should navigate the dating landscape? Because obviously it sounds great to have four kids yep. and I want to have uh, probably about four kids with my girlfriend. But finding the right girl seems a bit more difficult now with all of these yeah. different apps sure. and this, um, this culture of, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, lots of different choices available at our fingertips. Yeah, I mean, look, resume matters today. And if you swipe right on Tinder, the resume is misleading because she can tell you whatever she wants about the resume. You have to believe her. So it's like somebody coming up and they're applying for a job and they give you the resume and they said, I went to Harvard. And then I went to Oxford for four years. And then I got my MBA from Wharton. And then I worked uh, for a consultant, Booz Allen. And then I'm here to be an employee of yours. And you're like, okay. And you don't make reference calls. You just believe the fact that this guy went to Harvard. He went to Oxford and he went to Wharton. If you hired this person and paid him 200 grand a year without doing a reference call, you're an idiot, right? Okay. 
marriage and having kids with somebody requires reference calls. Now, I had a lot of things in my skeletons in my closet, so I can't sit there and be selective on the skeletons that I have in my closet and be like, well, you, but me. So there's an element of not also expecting perfection from the girl you're with because that's, that's also not going to exist. I'm just looking more for straight up the fact that you're willing to be honest with me. On our second date, my wife and I, I bought a book for at, at used with three other girls. The book was called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. I said, I want you to read this book. I've already read it. There's about 50-something answers that are important to me. You tell me which ones you want to go with. Whenever you're ready, let's roll. I'm not interested in hooking up right now. I'm 28 years old. I'm looking for a wife. But it's up to you. If you want to go on a second date, third date, great. If not, we're done today. You're sure? Yes. Week later, six hours, we went through all the questions. And she gave me some answers. I'm like, whoa, okay. And I gave her mine. Everything else, I'm like, okay, I think this is probably going to be my wife. A year and a half later, we got married. But there's a big risk today to not doing your due diligence. You got to do a lot of research today. So this is second date that you had this second conversation? Date. Yeah. So would your advice be for people that go, you know, to do that on a second date? To be date? fair, I had known her for, for, for a few years. Okay, because I can yeah. kind of imagine that would put a lot of people off kind of, totally. whoa. You're, you're right. But, but, but it's kind of like, let's just say she has a friend she introduces to you yeah. and you have seen the friend because they've been dating for two years and you've seen her for a couple of years, but you guys have never done anything together. And on the second, they're like, look, Mary, I like you. I know you like me, but I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I want to get married. If you want to do that, if I don't want to get married, that's not what the conversation sounds like. I've had conversations when I wanted no commitment and the conversation was like this. Mary, what is your expectation of this relationship? I just want to manage that with you. Can I be with other girls and be with you? No. Okay, then, then I'm not good. Because my expectation of this relationship is, I think we can have a lot of fun together, but I'm not committed to you. And when did that flip? Because at some point there must've been a moment where you realized, now I'm ready. My dad had a heart attack and I went to the hospital and I saw him losing 40 pounds. I was afraid he's gonna die. And I'm like, this is not worth it. I stopped going to the clubs. I said, don't call me anymore, guys, boom. I dropped everything with my girl, uh, I went 17 months with no sex is what I did. That's the timeline. I went 17 months, no sex. I went to Bible study Friday nights in Pasadena from six to midnight, sometimes two o'clock in the morning. We would talk philosophy and God, even though I'm an atheist at the time. And then I committed my life to making my dad's last name known to the world to make sure for the rest of my life, I can brag about him. And it flipped. And then after that, I'm a man and I'm a very high testosterone man. I'm very driven. So a man has needs. He's got to go through a certain process. But that was my phase of fully committing to my dreams more than the women I was chasing. Life-changing for me. That, that worked for me. I don't recommend everybody. But that worked for me. So there's a sense of you're, I'm wasting time, basically. I feared my dad dying and me not um, having his dreams become a reality. And uh, yeah, I, I, when you weigh the two, it's not even close to me. It's not even close to me. Yeah. With those 101 questions, what were some non-negotiables for you that other guys should be should be looking at? Do you have any kids before? I didn't, I'm not going to deal with the other husband. You know, let, let's just say I'm single at 48 years old. My wife and our marriage doesn't work out, okay? And I'm looking for a different relationship. And the girl I'm dating is 32. She's got a kid. I'm 48, okay? Maybe a different story. But I'm not looking at having more kids, let's just say, at 48 years old. Life is different in every circumstance. But if you're in your 20s and you're not coming with a lot of baggage yourself and, you know, you're single with no other kids, hey, one of my non-negotiables is I don't want to have to constantly talk to your ex and 
he's coming in here and has influence over my kids, I'm good. It's just, here's how it's going to work out. Number of kids I want to have, the non-negotiable for me was I wanted to have five kids. She wanted three. We settled with four. We would have had five, but the one didn't make it, the twins, so we ended up with four. God's plan is with the kids. And then uh, uh, I had to ask her about how much she's capable of seeing me being on the road traveling. Because when I built the insurance company, I was on the road six months out of the year. So what do you think about me traveling? How long can you handle me being away? And she's like, yeah, I'm good with this. Okay, great. And she had understood the business I was a part of. We had a few other things that we talked about. But those were some of the things that we discussed. For example, for me, I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're whatever you are. I'm Christian, but I don't care what nationality you are. You got to know how to cook Middle Eastern food. Literally, that was my, and I'm, that's a non-negotiable. And I said that to her that one day when we went through the questions. On our next date, she made an Assyrian dish that she got the recipe for. It's the worst meal I've had in my life. <laughs> I, it was disgusting. However, the fact that she made an effort to cook that Assyrian dish, today she's one of my favorite cooks in the world. And she cooks Middle Eastern food. And she's a white girl from, we found out today, she's British. Okay, But we got married here, not in Britain. So we have different laws we follow here. But... Uh, yeah, she's, uh, uh, you have to learn how to cook Middle Eastern food. With the thing about not dating a woman that's had a child previously, what would you say to people that say that could come across a bit misogynistic? Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure there'd be people in the comments saying, you know, why would you discount people for just having a kid? Totally fine. That's your choice. It's my standards. What makes you think you get to impose your standards on me? Who are you? Yeah, I feel there's a whole movement that, you know, when a man yeah. decides he wants something, you know, it's And I get those comments all the time. But what I'm saying is, I don't care. How, how can guys get to yeah. that position of abundance, though? Because you being able to say that this is a non-negotiable for me and I will not yeah. have it, yeah. that you have to have a level of abundance. And I feel like a lot of guys, as soon as they get a sniff, they'll just lap it up straight away and they're all in. So how can they get to that position of abundance to be able to, to dictate the terms of the relationship? Listen, you know, it's all leverage. What do you bring into the table? Mm. What do you bring into the table? You know, and, and, but, but I, will, I will say this also, like, you know, there's like Dana White, right? Dana White, UFC. Dana White from UFC is hard charging, strong, expectation driven, all this other stuff, right? Do you think he became like that after he became a millionaire? Or you think he's been like that his entire life? Yeah. There's this concept of people thinking you become like that after you become a millionaire. Once I make my money, then I'm going to be like alpha. No, you're, you're a leader. If you're a leader, you're a leader. you impose your belief and then you deliver. You know, when a, when a guy is dating a girl and he says something like this, babe, one day we're going to buy a house in a cul-de-sac and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this. All right. Well, guess what? Fine. She bought into the dream. We better make progress towards that. So I remember when my wife and I got married and I started a company, I said, I want to let you know. I'm not buying a new house for five years. I'm not getting any kind of Chanel purses till we have three babies. If you give me three kids, I'll get you Chanel purse. Everything between now and there is coach. I like coach because it's 300 bucks, 400 bucks. Chanel is $7,000. I said, I'm not doing no Louis stuff, nothing. But if we're together for 10 years, I'm getting, I got her a $3,300 wedding band. That's nothing. My friends are spending $30,000, $40,000. I said, if we're married 10 years, I'll get you a $60,000 ring. But let's see if you can stay with me. If not, I'm not buying you a freaking $60,000 ring. So she's like, okay, babe, I just want to be with you. No problem. Here's $3,300, the ring. It's our 10-year anniversary. I take her to the jewelry. Hey, babe, you know, this ring here, $60,000. Like, babe, I, I don't want that ring. It's so it's big and my finger hurts and all this stuff. Can we, instead of doing this, we just go to Monaco and we stay there for a week and da-da-da-da-da? Yeah, 
So we went to Monaco and we spent $60,000 on the trip to Monaco. She didn't want the ring. Third baby is born, Senna. I go to the store, buy her $7,000 Chanel purse. I come back and say, here you go, babe. I said, we're going to rent for a while, but one day I want to buy you an insane house. And we're going to live together in, in, in an incredible house. As long as you are saying and your spouse, your wife is seeing you make progress to the dream that you sold, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So you have to have the pride to show progress towards the destination. And she has to believe in you as the husband, as a spouse to say, babe, I got your back. I believe in you. That's the combination. This expectation of you being a millionaire day one, it's delusional to think that. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have that, fine. But I want to I wanna manage expectations and I want to be able to look at my wife and know you're looking at me back that I'm the man. You respect me because I keep my promises. If you can do that, then just make sure you don't make insane promises like you know you're not going to do. You know, make promises that you know you're going to do your part. As long as you dish is my, listen, this one guy, that guy right there, she's going to talk to her friend. That's my husband. You know what's the one thing about that freaking guy? He's a BMF. When that guy tells me he's going to do something, he does it. That's why I'm, I'm still with that guy. You also have a prenup, as we discussed earlier. Yep. And you found out today that you were very surprised about that we can't have that I here. I cannot believe In that. the UK. So what would your well, advice there, there be? There is a prenup, but it's not legally binding. So that, that, so what, it's not. What does that it's mean, though? What does pointless. that mean, though? I think it's just an agreement that you can have. But when it actually, you know, you go it, to court. If push comes to shove, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you, I, I, I know this is going to sound weird. I'm, I'm not getting married in UK. <laughs> I'm being serious yeah. with you. I'm just telling you. I'm not. I don't. I hate to say this because she's sitting here saying, "Freaking guys, why do we bring this guy to interview him <laughs> she's today?" And you know, say yeah, about she's probably the not Chanel happy about and everything. This. And not, well, not, this is what not. I was going to ask. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. would your advice be to Curtis? Do not get married. I would advise him to get married elsewhere. I would advise him to set it up in a complete different way. The way I did it with my wife when we're talking about prenup. Here's here's what caused me to have all this stuff in agreements. She called me about a couple things that she wanted us to spend money on her family. And it pissed me off. First time I was okay. Second time, third time, I'm like, I don't like this anymore because they're taking advantage of you. I said, you know what, babe? I don't want you to ask me anymore. She said, what do you mean? I don't want you to call me anymore and ask me for $5,000, $10,000, $15,000. I don't want you to do that anymore. So what do you suggest we do? Here's what we can do moving forward. This is our money in this account. This money is spent for us, our kids, our expenses, our life. This money is your money. And this is my money. My money is my money. If I want to buy you a gift, I buy it from my money so you know I'm sacrificing my money for you. If you want to buy me a gift for my birthday, it comes from this money, not from this money. So whenever your family wants money from you, you don't even need to ask me. You just go ahead and do it. So you want to do this? Yes. I went to the accountant. I went to the state planner. I went to the lawyers. We set up the whole thing. And all of a sudden, it's like, we go to Vegas, and we go to the Louis Vuitton store. She says, can I see that navy blue purse and that purse right there? Yes. And I go like this. I'd like to buy both. She's not looking at me. She takes a credit card out from her account, spends five, $6,000 on two purses. She says, I'm buying it with my money. I said, awesome. <laughs> Great. I'm for it. Babe, I'm happy for you, babe that you're doing this with your money. No problem. I'm okay with that, right? So that structure to me is very important. I do not support what UK is doing to, there's no way in the world that's, um, that incentive is effective. No way. You mean to tell me I can't put arrangements? So let's, if I was a billionaire and then I marry a 22-year-old girl 
And then five years later, she leaves me. I have to give her half of my money? Are you freaking insane? Oh, we definitely are right, aren't we? I feel like I, someone fact check it, but I'm so sure that you can't. Have oh, a there is in the UK. no yeah. way in the world I'm getting married. There's no way in the world I'm getting. By the way, again, this is me. It doesn't mean you. Okay, your, you know, your dad is here sitting here saying we made a mistake inviting Patrick <laughs> here today, right? This was a terrible idea, guys. Why did you think this was a good idea? But I'm telling you, me, because, you know, if I don't have a prenup, I actually don't want, don't know if I have the drive to give my best. Because you might lose it. Because I might lose it. it. But if I have a prenup, I'm giving my best. Why? Because. But some people would, of course, say, which isn't what I agree with. I'm, I'm completely on your side with this. But some people would say, well, you shouldn't be marrying someone that you're not 1000% sure that it's going to work out with. Yeah, but well, shit happens though, don't it? You can never be sure. So here's the part. Listen, if I screw up, totally get it. If I screw up, you're right. Let's just say if I change and I become the idiot. Of course. And I'm the drug addict. And I'm the one that's now doing cocaine and drugs and all this other stuff. Totally fine. Let's put it in the agreement. Meaning she doesn't know if I'm going to change and be the idiot. But I don't know if she's going to change. Yeah. I'm not God. You know, you know what it is for a man to believe that the marriage, both sides are going to be great. Do you know that's a form of thinking you're God? Who the hell are you? Who the hell are we? I don't know what's going to happen with her later on. I don't know what's going to happen with them later on. No. So why don't we not play God and let's play humans, beings, and let's write an optional agreement together. And of course, you only have to look at the data. It's all there backed up the amount of marriages that fail. So it's not even saying you're a pessimistic person. You're just being realistic, looking at the stats. Yeah. And by the way, I am all about marriage. I'm all about having kids, having a family. I'm all about it. But I also understand people change. And if you all of a sudden change, you're 39 years old and you're like, well, you know, I haven't had a man flirt with me except for my husband. The other day I went to this place and this man said a compliment to me and she does something dumb. That's totally fine. You screwed up because of your insecurities. I'm okay with that. Salute. I'm not giving you half my stuff. Wish you all the best. I'm still going to take care of you because you're my kid's mother. But we're not. This is not a partnership anymore moving forward. You chose that decision. So again, not saying that's what's going to happen. All I'm saying is you have to be logical about it knowing everything's on the table. If I was to set it up like my money, our money, her money, how would you propose that she makes her money? Should she have a job or a career or should I pay into that pot and then she can use that money herself? You get to, you get to structure that the way you want. The way we did it is my wife till today works every day with me. She's in my office right next to me. So I told my wife, I said, listen, just so you know, if you're going to be the girl that you're married and we got a lot of money and you want to go to the spa every day, you want to go do this every day, I'm just not going to be attracted to you. I'm, I'm not turned on by that. I just want you to know that because I don't... I don't respect that. That's not me, right? You just want to go shop in five, six days a week just because you want to spend my money. I'm not part of that community. I said, I want to see you have my back, build things together. Your focus becomes the kids. You're picking up the kids. You're doing all this other stuff. Well, you tell me if you want to work or not. So first three kids, every time my wife had the kid, she's at the office working by choice, by choice. She says, babe, when I have the fourth one, I want to take a year off. She's never told me this before because when we're dating, she says, I don't want to be the one that I don't have an identity and I stay home. I also want to work and contribute. No problem. You're speaking my language. I'm fine with that. Well, the fourth baby's born. She takes a year off. Okay. And then I said, you want to take another year off? No, baby. I got to come back to the office. No problem. She came back to the office whenever she wanted to, she would come back to the office. But for me, 
she chose to contribute as well. Let's say she doesn't contribute and you don't want her to work. You want her to stay home. Well, then you got to give her an allotment. That's her money. Mm. And that she doesn't feel, because raising kids is a lot of work. Being a homemaker is a lot of work. Choosing to be a mommy is a lot of work. A lot of work. And it's not easy. And if she does it right, all day long, take care of it. But for me, I'm kind of like the guy from old school where, you know, husband and wife ran the farm together. They ran the store together. They ran the business together. That's kind of my style. And we, my wife and I have lunch together every day. As long as I'm in town, we're having, we had lunch together today. Uh, Sam, did we have lunch together yesterday or yesterday? Uh, uh, did Jennifer and I have lunch yesterday or no? Yesterday we were in Dallas. We're in, uh, we're in, Dallas. We're in Dallas yesterday. If I'm in town, we're having lunch every day together, right? With the family. Yeah, you paint the picture of the way you want your marriage to be, then every girl that you're dating, you tell them, this is what I want. They could say no, and you can compromise your values and principles, or you could say, babe, it's just not going to work. You were talking about your schedule there, and yeah. I'm quite intrigued because you strike me as one of those people that are just work, work, work all day. You probably get up at 2 a.m. in the morning and go to bed at midnight. What does your day-to-day -day look like at the moment? Where are you separating your time? What's your main focus? So right now I'm running nine companies, okay? One of the companies I'm running, I'm trying to step away from. It's very demanding. Insurance companies, technical, compliance. It's just, we're national, 49 states, few hundred offices, a lot of different things you're dealing with. I'm trying to push that away. That's why I was in Dallas yesterday. Uh, the podcast, demanding. I like to do research. I like to do good podcasts. I like to sit down when I'm talking to the people. So that takes a lot of time to do when... I'd love to do podcasts five days a week. I can't. My bandwidth doesn't allow it. I run a consulting firm that's growing very, very rapidly right now. And we have a five-by-five five program that we do when we're sitting down with clients, depending on what phase of your business you're at and whether... And, and, and I'm somebody that's gone through the phase of starting a business, raising capital, round one, one million, two, 10 million, three, 35 million, selling, hiring CFOs, hiring CTOs, hiring CIOs, hiring COOs. We've hired God knows how many thousands of people over the last 20 or so. We know how to sit with you to put a pitch deck together, to go raise money, to ask the better questions, to interview a COO, or you need somebody to kind of weigh out three different people you want to hire, our consulting firm. We have that. We do that. So that's growing rapidly, and I'm loving the consulting side of what we're doing. You know, we have a product development side. By the way, one thing that would be very, very good for you guys is Manect. I don't know if you're familiar with Manect or not. So seven years ago, I'm talking to my lawyer. We have a seven-minute call. He bills me for 30 minutes. I give him a call. I'm like, I'm sorry, how is a seven-minute call a 30-minute call? He says, well, as a lawyer, your minutes, they roll up. I said, not to 30 minutes. It's seven minutes. You can maybe go to 10 minutes. He says, no, they roll up. I said, what do you charge by the minute? He says, I don't charge by the minute. I said, I would love to one day have a company that people get to pay by the minute. So, hey, do you have a minute to connect? Let's connect. M-I-N-N-E-C-T. So this app literally... You're there as an influencer. If I DM you on TikTok, I'm sure you don't get back to 100% of people. You can't, right? 7.2 million followers is going to be very hard to get back to. But if they do want to pay for you to respond back in a text or a video or a FaceTime, they can pay for it. On Manect, they pay you $100 for text. You pick and choose your price. You can respond back in an audio or text. Or they pay you $300 for a video answer and you give them a video answer back and all the stuff you guys are doing here right now with the youth, everybody would want to know this stuff. I learned a lot about what you guys are doing, your systems on how to grow your TikTok from zero to 7.2 million, YouTube channel, 2 million, your system from the moment I walked and how organized you guys are. People would pay to learn this kind of stuff, right? So, and then on Manect is you FaceTime. Your face is here, their face is here. 
You have a 15-minute call. If they want to extend another 15 minutes, they can. They buy the minutes. The talent gets paid 80%. 20% is kept by Menect. Menect has been downloaded now 100,000 times, and we just went international from U.S. to 42 other countries. We just launched it, too, and U.K. being one of them. So we have a product development side. Then we have a few other things that I do, but my schedule is Monday morning, my first meeting. We have the eight companies we're in the room with with all the C-suites. That goes from 8.30 to 10.15. From 10.15 to 11 o'clock is my insurance company. 11 to 11.30, Sam and I meet. 11.30 to 12 o'clock, I'm doing uh, uh, how-to videos that I'm making. So content, hey, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about this? I don't like this. I don't like this. I like this. Let me see the research. Let me see the data. Can you get this? What about this? What about that? How about this? How about that? Okay, put this together. Let's do this episode. Let's do this episode. We're good. I go to lunch with a meeting with somebody, and then from there I come back. I'm either doing elite masterminds, one-on-ones, calls, you know, podcast prep or different strategy meetings with one of the companies that we're running. And that's my days, five days, nonstop, every day. Saturdays, I'll work in the morning and Saturday afternoons, I'm with the family, dinner and Sundays is family day. With the app there, it sounds like you've really found a gap in the market. How important would you say it is for young entrepreneurs that want to get into business and, you know, making some money? is to look for that gap in the market? Or do you think it's more important just to get started? The way I work is I, I like to make things that I use. For example, this book, Choose Your Enemies Wisely, okay? I wrote this book because when I wrote my first business plan, I don't have a clue what a business plan looks like. What does a business plan look like? So you go on YouTube and you're like, how do you write a business plan? Then when I thought about books, um, if I wanted to go buy books on leadership, I think about John Maxwell. I think about Donald T. Phillips, Lincoln on leadership. I can find plenty of books on leadership. If I want to go read a book on human nature, how to win friends and influence people. If I want to go read a book on positive thinking, power of positive thinking, beyond positive thinking, plenty of them. If I want to go read a book on business, there's plenty of them. Do you know right now if I ask you, give me a book on business planning, you can't think of one. There is not a book on line on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble for business planning that anybody can read and they can write the business plan. So I said that, I said, listen, that's not cool. We need a book for anybody, whether you're a founder, you're a politician, you're somebody that's running for governor, for senator, you're a YouTuber, no matter what it is, to be able to write a business plan. That does not exist. We need to produce that product. I call Penguin. I tell them exactly what it's going to be about. We first make it a course, then we see the reaction, then we turn it into a book, and then boom. Now, this is coming on December 5th, Choose Your Enemies Wisely, because I wish I had this book 15 years ago, right? So product development works the same exact way. I come into a place and I say, uh, how come they don't have, what is that? What if there was something that could do da-da-da-da? Huh. Can you see if that exists? It doesn't exist. Like right now, we're working on a software that's, that's, that's very exciting software that we're working on. It doesn't exist. has to do with AI. Great. And then sometimes you're disappointed. Because like, oh, shit, it already exists. Okay, well, then forget about it, okay? Oh, this doesn't exist. Okay, it does exist, but those guys do it this way. But we would do it this way. What about if we do it this way? That thought process that you go through, but typically, it's always better when it's a product that you need based on your life, your situation, okay? Because the user is going to say, oh, me too. I, I agree. Okay, I want that. So... I'm very interested by the sound of this book and, and when it comes out, we'll have to get a couple of copies and have a read. But we were talking about some of the concepts that we think are in it earlier um, when we were outside and talking about this idea of the need to have an enemy in business to almost compete against. 
And we were actually disagreeing, weren't we? Because you said that you always compete against yourself in the future, whereas I've always looked for the next person to beat. He's always trying to beat me in everything we do, <laughs> right? So we'll go to a boxing lesson together, or a personal training session together, and he'll be like, you go first, you go first, so I'll do my reps. And I turn around and he's there trying to beat me and he'll celebrate or he'll be upset that he hasn't or whatever. And, and like I always when we say went to him, for a run the other day as Exactly, well. and I always say to him, hang on, I didn't realize we were competing. I'm just trying to beat me from last week. Yeah, so this, this concept about enemies is choosing the right enemies, right? Because most people choose the wrong enemies. I'll give you a few examples of wrong enemies. So uh, Blockbuster is killing in the marketplace in America. Eight billion auto company, they're there to go to place where you go to get movies. You know what their problem was? They didn't choose anybody as their enemies because they had hubris. They were so arrogant that they thought there's no way anybody can do anything to us. Netflix goes to them for them to buy Netflix for $50 million. They said no to Netflix, Blockbuster. Blockbuster goes out of business. Netflix is now nearly a $200 billion company. The concept of feminism. You guys talk about the you know red pill, all that yeah. stuff they do. Feminism. What, what mistake did feminists make? Who was their enemy? They made men the enemy. How is man the enemy? I'm at a vault conference I host once a year. This year, we had Tom Brady at it. And first day, everybody's supposed to do a personal identity audit. There's 3,000 people in attendance. And then the next morning you come, and the question is, what breakthrough did you have? Next day comes. One of the girls in the corner with her sister, Middle Eastern girl, very attractive. She keeps wanting to raise her hand. She puts it down. Her friend's like, her sister like, just put your hand up. I said, you keep trying to put your hand up. What do you want to say? She's like, ah, this is very nerve-wracking for me to say this. I said, what's that? You know, I'm, I'm, for my entire life, everything has been about outdoing men and, and, and outdoing this. And, and I make the most money in our family out of all my friends. And I live in a beautiful house. I drive nice cars. I'm a, my hair salon, we make millions of dollars. But you know what's my biggest breakthrough? What? Men are not the enemy. I want a husband. And she's crying. It took her 38 years to realize men are not the enemy. Politicians choosing the wrong enemy. America chose the wrong enemy during COVID. China should have been the enemy. They chose Trump as the enemy. What happened to America? Divided. What a stupid mistake America made. They're embarrassing right now worldwide. When you look at America, nobody fears America today. Nobody respects America today. You know how embarrassing that is for the greatest country in the world to go through something like this? Because they chose the wrong enemy. So now let me give you a couple of the enemies of my life that were life-changing. Have you guys read Elon Musk's recent book that came out or no? You haven't read it? No, you guys would love it. You will love it. It's, it's 41 uh, hours on audio if you want to listen to it. It's an audio book to listen to. Some books that you want to read, like this is a business book, you read it, but audio, you can listen to it. It's phenomenal. <sighs> There's a couple scenes with him and his father, okay? Elon's number one enemy is his father, and it's not even close. And the amount of fire and juice his father has created in his life is not even... The average person won't understand. You won't understand it because you have a great father. Loving, you guys are together. Yeah. He's very. We do have our arguments. Though. That's totally fine. But, <laughs> but what yeah, I'm saying not, to you is like you that. got a great father yeah. that's actually okay with you mm -hmm. guys having arguments, yeah. right? I remember one time I'm 25 years old. This is when, I, when you asked the question why I stopped and I said my dad had a heart attack. Remember that whole conversation we had earlier? I'm 25 years old. We're at this Christmas party. And this one relative makes a condescending comment about my dad. I look at this man. I love this man. He's a very nice guy. I look at him, and I look at my dad, and I'm furious. 
I said, Dad, we're leaving. So what are you talking about? We just got here. I said, we're leaving. We're not leaving. You're here. You're my son. We're staying here. This is my family. I said, no, we're leaving. We're not leaving. Now, at this point, everybody's watching us. I said, Dad, we're not staying here. We're leaving. He said, I'm your father. I said, I'm your ride. We're leaving. At this point, my dad is so embarrassed that he can't wait to leave. We go outside. We're walking to the car. When we walk to the car, I said, Dad, he can never talk to you like that ever again. He says, what do you mean? Who do you think you are? What makes you think you do? You just embarrassed me in front of my family. And da, 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 da. I said, Dad, that man should never talk to you like that, can never talk to you like that. It is game over. I bring my family, my sister, my brother-in-law to the house the next day. I said, whatever happens, the world's going to know your last name. They're going to know how incredible of a father you are. I said, everywhere you go, they're going to stop you. And they're going to say, are you Gabriel Bed David? Your son always talks about you. My dad was having a heart procedure two weeks ago. Doctor walks in. He says, I know who you are. He says, how do you know me? He says, there's only one other nose I've seen like that before. And it's your son. That's a big nose. He says, that's Patrick Bay David's nose. He says, he always talks about you. I follow his content. I said, thank you. He did the surgery on his heart, right? Everyone my dad goes now, he hears these stories and he has these experiences, right? That enemy produced a fire in my belly that I can't help myself because you disrespected the man that I respect the most of my life. That's permanent. Yeah, beating your prior best, I'm all about it. Yeah, competitors doing that, I'm all about it. But enemies come in 14 different shapes and sizes and forms. We talk about that in the book, Choose Your Enemies Wisely. But for me, it's different for everybody. And one enemy can take you to a seven and a half. And it lasts for three months. One enemy can take you to a nine for 10 minutes. You're swimming. One enemy can take you to an eight for 15 years. The lifespan and the level of intensity of the enemy is what matters. If you're able to get me to be very high and I stay like that for 20 years, I mean, you're going to be doing stuff that no one's going to believe because that fire is, you're going to figure out a way because that fire is in there. So I don't know if that answered your question for you, but that's two of the ways you create enemies. I think it does because even though I just said before that I didn't think I necessarily had any enemies, I'm now starting to think of people in my life who are that enemy without me necessarily realizing that they were the ones driving me. So it's very interesting to, to hear it from that perspective. When you read the book, you'll, you'll make a list of enemies by the end of the book. You're gonna, yeah. I just found seven of them. And you're going to be shocked that a couple of them are like, what? I never thought he would be a driver, but damn, he drives me. Yeah. She drives me. It's a great experience as you go through it. And by the way, enemy is different than competitors because competitors are logical. Enemy is emotional. Enemy is offended. Enemy is, is, is very, very different. And that's the fuel. It's a very different kind of a fuel. It's, you, you ever look at someone in the eyes and you're like, man, that guy's got a lot of fire in his eyes. What the hell is wrong with this guy? You ever see somebody in their eyes and you're like, it's just droopy. It's just like, hey, you know. And do you need that fuel, that, that feeling of proving someone wrong to be a successful entrepreneur? To be able to handle the chaos and the pain you're going to go through Nothing else is worth it. Why would any reasonable human being want to go through that level of pain? You have to have mental issues. Two books that were great books I read years ago. One of them was called First Rate Madness. Another one was called Hypomanic Edge. It talked about the level of craziness and success in America. You know, the, the, the people that build the biggest things, they were typically the craziest people. 
Okay, they, they, they're, they're out of whack. There's no way a reasonable, normal human being should want to go through that much of pain and chaos. You have to be mentally off a little bit. I want to be conscious of your time. We're coming up to, up to the cutoff point. So thank you very much for Anytime. coming on the show. It's been very interesting. Serious go. Yeah, Serious. really enjoyed it, guys. Really enjoyed this. This has been fascinating. And I've learned. I've learned even if I meet... <laughs> My future wife in UK, I can't get <laughs> married do it. to her. Even I'm, do it. I'm married to British, but we got married in America. But this was fascinating, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Where Thank can you. people Thank find you, you and, and your book? And oh, they can find us, you know, Patrick Bed David, but they can also go order the, the Choose Your Enemies Wisely on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Thank you very much for watching, guys. If you enjoyed, make sure to smash that thumbs up button and we will see you next Wednesday with a new podcast. See you later.